This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. Once in a blue moon, the courts of this land will actually uh, rule on a tax-related, I guess it's not really a tax case, but a tax-related case. Uh, and the Supreme Court very recently did that in Bittner versus United States. Uh, it has to do with the reporting of foreign bank accounts. So to talk about that case, what it kind of means, what we're thinking on it, and all sorts of other things is Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good as usual, Rachel. Good as usual. Normal. <laughs> Normal. Good. Yeah. Keep up with the status quo. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I was um, I, I was realizing one time that people would ask me how I was doing. And my response was always the same. I was like, oh, it's been really good, but it's been it's been really busy. And then I thought I always say that. So it's just always busy. So I don't need to add it's busy. I just say it's normal. Yeah. I guess and if it's slow ever, that's when you can mention it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should mention if it's slow. That, you know, thankfully it hasn't been. In our business, that's bad. Yeah. You don't want to be slow unless you're on vacation. Outside of vacation, you do not want to be slow. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. is the way it works. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, same, same. Doing good. You're you're right about this about it kind of being exciting. Uh, I was just telling my husband. He's like, "What are you What are you talking about on the podcast?" I'm like, "Well, it's actually really cool. Like, the Supreme Court just came out with a case that you know actually affects us on a day to day." And he's like, "That's cool. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I can nerd I out when the Supreme Court actually takes a case that really affects us. It's exciting." Yeah, it is so true. Like you you uh, share what you do with friends and family who aren't in this business and they're usually not very impressed. That is my experience. Mm -hmm. Every time I share what I do, they're like, so what, I'm sorry, what is it that you do? I don't understand. Why would anybody ever hire you? Well, <laughs> I guess you're not that person. Exactly. I guess we've answered that question. <laughs> yeah. It isn't you. <laughs> um, or, or I'll get the comment like, oh, so you do tax returns. Or during tax season, like, oh, you must be busy with all your tax returns. Like, no, 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 I don't. I don't do tax returns. What? Well, then why does anybody use you? Like, well, again, <laughs> you're not the person that uses me, clearly. <laughs> that has that weeded you out. Um, so, OK, for just a little bit of context before we kind of jump into this case uh, in broad terms, we don't have to talk about every single detail of the case, though. That will really will bore people. But. Um, so this is a case that deals with the Banking Secrecy Act. And I know that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. Of course, sounds super amazing. But the idea is to help the U.S. government find uh, bank accounts abroad. This is part of the Banking Secrecy Act. And so it requires that every, we'll say U.S. person, okay, it could be a trust, it could be a company, it could be an individual uh, they have obligations to report financial interest in or signature authority over foreign bank accounts. So the the requirement to do this is triggered if at any moment during the year, the aggregate value of all these foreign bank accounts that fit into this weird category is over $10,000, okay? Or it might be 10,000 or more, but it doesn't really matter, the extra dollars immaterial here for our purposes. 
And so, you know, that seems like kind of an annoyance. It has nothing to do with tax. It's all about just giving information to the government. They're just collecting information. But, 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 Rachel, they really want that information. It's not like a light ask. No. You know, this is not a friendly nudge like, hey, if you get around to it, could you? No. So, and it used to be that you had to file this report at a different time than you file your tax returns. Now you file it at the same time that you file your tax return because like some sane people in Congress actually changed the rules and you can get an extension to file. It used to be you couldn't even get an extension to file this report. And so now it's a report that gets filed. It actually gets filed with the Financial Crimes and Enforcement Unit of the Department of Treasury. So not with the IRS. It's not an IRS report, uh, FinCEN. And it gets submitted electronically, only electronically. It used to be only paper, then they changed it to only electronically. So it's had a it's had a long history. But if you don't do this nice thing that the government is asking you so nicely to do, then there are a few little things kick in. Number one, if you willfully didn't do it, willfully didn't do it. The penalty is the greater of $100,000 or 50% of the account balance. Of course, if you have willfully not done this for a number of years, this can be a big problem. And it can be a big, big, big number. There's actually litigation going on about this, this very high willfulness penalty. Then if you weren't willful, you were quote unquote non-willful in that case, but you didn't have reasonable cause. Okay. That's, there's a trigger here. If you, if, if you were Non-willful, but you didn't have reasonable cause. In that case, uh, the penalty is $10,000. And the IRS forever has taken the position that the penalty is $10,000 per account per year. And the report, you can report any number of accounts on the report. I guess you don't do zero, but one or more uh, accounts are going to go on this report. So you could have and if you, you know, if you have a lot of stuff going on, you could have hundreds of, of accounts you have to report, which is sort of the case in, in the case we're going to talk about. So that the IRS position was, let's say you had 100 reports you or accounts you failed to report, but you're non-willful, but you didn't have reasonable cause. The penalty is $10,000 per account for each year. Not a fun bill to get. And so this issue has been debated. It's been, you know, it, you go to conferences where people who care about these things show up and they debate with each other and they write articles and they, you know, everybody does all this stuff. They have been, everybody's been doing all this stuff, but they've, this issue has been litigated. And finally, there was an actual case, this Bittner case that ended up in the Supreme Court. And the issue before the Supreme Court was, how do you count the penalty? Is the penalty per account per year or is this $10,000 penalty per year? So that's the setup here. And, and just for a little bit of gloss, sorry on all these, just a little bit of gloss. So willfulness could be you really know and you just you just don't do what you're supposed to do and you knew it you knew you had to do it you don't do it you can also be like willfully ignorant and there's a bunch of cases that say what that is but willfully ignorant basically is like you just stick your head in the ground and, and you avoid learning even though you know that this is kind of out there that's willfully ignorant if instead you're just negligent or you made a mistake or you didn't understand the law or you made a mistake in the facts that's non-willful okay so it, it could be that you were you're, you're a dummy and you just really messed it up, but you weren't willful in the way that you did it. You just misunderstood or you got bad advice or, you know, something, something ended up making it so you weren't willful, but you were, you maybe weren't a great actor either. But, and then reasonable cause is, is a higher standard, which basically says something along the lines of a prudent person in your position would have done the same thing. 
exercising reasonable business judgment. A, a prudent person would have done the same thing. Yeah, so it's a higher standard. It's hard, it's hard to meet. But if you had reasonable cause, the penalty is zero. So we're talking about this middle space. You didn't have reasonable cause, uh, but you weren't willful and you weren't willfully ignorant. You're right in the middle, non-willful. So that's the issue that was in front of the Supreme Court most recently. Yeah. And I think it's a really, it's, there's, you know, you mentioned how high the penalties can be, mm-hmm. right? And and it's you're absolutely right. Um, and when we're looking at willful and non-willful, one thing I feel like that really shocks a lot of people when we talk about this is you can be non-willful and then it can turn into willfulness, right? The moment you are advised by your attorney, by a tax professional that, hey, you needed to file this FBAR report, at that point, if you don't do it, it has become willful. You know yeah. better at that yeah. point. Yeah. Um, and we've and there's been cases before where uh, people have been advised. It's uh, I think there was one case out of the Third Circuit where there was a $975,000 penalty because they were advised and then they just didn't do it. And so right. they got hit with all the penalties. Um, there's another and, case. Oh, go ahead. Well, and just to, to add a little bit of layer on that, like you're, you're mentioning here, there are also criminal penalties. Mm-hmm. OK, yep. so it's not if you're willful, it's not just <clears throat> you get hit with these monetary penalties. There are criminal penalties. You can go to jail as well. It's like you said, it's, it's taken very, very seriously. Very seriously. The U.S. Yeah. wants to know about all of these foreign accounts, every yes, single last one of them, if you're over that $10,000 mark. So, yeah. yeah, so it's led us to this case. Um, so the Bittner case, we had a split in the circuits, um, which is why the Supreme Court decided to take certiorari. Um, so the Fifth Circuit says, nope, these penalties are going to be per account. So they were siding with the government. Lots and lots mm-hmm. of penalties. The Ninth Circuit was saying, nope, we're going to do it per form. OK, so they're siding with the taxpayer. So a U.S. Supreme Court just took it up. And we got our decision last week, and they sided with the taxpayer. So And the Ninth Circuit. They usually overturn mm-hmm. the Ninth Circuit and side with the government. They did everything. Everybody got it wrong, I guess. We, we, all, we all thought <laughs> we knew how things worked, but no, we don't. Just yeah. when you think you get the system, you don't. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So taking it back a little bit, so this case, so we have, uh, we have Mr. Bittner, and he came over to the U.S. and he had a bunch of different foreign bank accounts that he was still holding overseas. I believe he came from Romania. And um, over the years, he had over he had about 272 bank accounts total. So that I mean, that's a lot. Right. Again, when we're looking at ten thousand dollars per bank account or ten thousand dollars per report over a five year period, he had two hundred and seventy two bank accounts. And so the government had assessed a penalty of two point seven two million dollars because he had failed to report these accounts and they didn't. Uh, the government didn't argue about whether or not the reports were sufficient, just he failed to to uh, complete the reports. So pretty much the the whole question, again, like you said, Brent, is what is wh- wh- how are the penalties actually going to be assessed? Are we doing it per yeah. report, per account? And, well, and they and they <laughs> sorry not to, to knock you off your stride here now for a second time, rudely. <laughs> um, but it, it, the issue in this case, the issue of like willfulness versus non-willfulness. That this was not part of this was not what the court was trying to decide. So it it was already a given in the case 
that this was a non-wilfulness situation. So that, but that's important because it informs the outcome, I think, and then what it means. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for that clarification. You can stop me on my roll when it's something good like that. <laughs> okay. So if it's not, if it's total nonsense, then you, you, then you jump in and you cut me off rudely. There we go. I got fair, it. Fair. Fair. <laughs> okay. Rules of the road established. Yes. <laughs> So in this case, what the court was really looking at is kind of the historical, um, looking at the Bank Secrecy Act and the reasoning behind it, the language that Congress was using. Um, they really looked at um, the different sections in that act. And, and what they noticed is that Congress, they specifically provided for these penalties in the willful violations that that is a, a per account, right? Those are really harsh penalties, right? Because that individual, that person or that entity, right? They know better. They know better at that point and they willfully did not ab abide by the law. Um, however, they did not see any similar similar language here from Congress with, for the non-willful penalties. And so looking at that in conjunction with, you know, Congress could have changed that, but they didn't. Um, and over the years, they decided that the penalty needs to apply on a per report basis, um, not any per account basis. So luckily for Mr. Bittner, he had a lot, uh, uh, very, very reduced bill that he owed yes. the government, uh, not the 2.72 that he was originally uh, given. And that's, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. It's it's interesting to me because sometimes you see these cases and they go up to the Supreme Court and the amount in controversy really isn't isn't that high. And you wonder, at least I wonder somewhat um, um, snootily, like, how'd they afford all the legal fees? Like, it's not yeah. cheap. It's not cheap to litigate in front of the Supreme Court. But, you know, when you've got well over two million dollars in penalties, I think you probably get pretty, uh, pretty motivated pretty quickly. There's a there's an interesting little tidbit in here, too. Right. Because it's a it's a five four decision. So al almost split. Right. It's five four. And the, the composition of the two sides is also not going to this is not going to be like the bookie's choice for how Supreme Court cases are supposed to shake out. So, for example, on the five majority side, it's Gorsuch, Jackson, right? That combination is eye-popping already. Roberts, Alito, and Kavanaugh. Gorsuch, Jackson, Roberts, Alito, Kavanaugh. This may be the first and only time that uh, those five rule together. And actually, interestingly, uh, Judge Jackson joined the full opinion. Gorsuch wrote, wrote the opinion and Jackson joined the full opinion. And Roberts and Alito and Kavanaugh were a little more circumspect. So and then uh, obviously uh, Barrett, Thomas, Sotomayor and Kagan were in the in the, the minority in the dissent here. So very, very interesting split among the justices and very, very interesting uh, outcome, again, given that this was basically the outcome that came out of the Ninth Circuit. The Supreme Court very often does not follow the Ninth Circuit. doesn't mean the Ninth Circuit's bad. That's just the way it tends to work. And, and an amazing result. I mean, it's just incredible result. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. When I first read the opinion and I saw the lineup of the justices, I, that was the first thought that came to my mind was, what? Yeah. Really? Excuse like these, me, what these is guys are here? they're agreeing with each other? Like when uh -huh. when is that ever gonna happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, even if you look at that dissent, Barrett, Thomas, Sotomayor, and Kagan, I mean, those four probably are never gonna be on the same side of a case for the rest of their careers. Yeah. It was just incredible. But I guess it just goes to show how, number one, unpolitical uh, these sorts of cases are because neither party likes this stuff. Neither party 
is a fan. But both parties, actually, there's broad uh, bipartisan support for these laws. And sometimes I'll um, I'll explain these rules just, you know, the way we kind of been talking about it and clients or prospective clients, whatever their political suasion, will start in on the other side of the ledger. And I have to tell them, like, you know, actually, this is a bipartisan issue. This is not a red-blue issue. These these laws are passed in very, very bipartisan fashion, like some of the most bipartisan issues that go through Congress are these kinds of, of secrecy issues as it relates to money and how the money flows around. It's a, it's a, it's a really curious case. I think it, I think there's a couple of things off, sort of off the top. I mean, number one, it clarifies how the penalties work, so, which is super nice um, because it used to be that I would just have to tell clients like, well, the IRS says this. The IRS position is X. Doesn't mean I agree, but that's just, that's their position. What am I going to do? And so then we would sort of plan uh, accordingly. And now you know what the what the law is, and it's a, it is a, a lighter penalty, but still $10,000 per year is still a hefty amount of money. So if you can get out of paying $10,000 per year, sometimes that's a that's a good result. And there are some programs that, that we use to try to help people to do that. But it makes the decision about whether you use those programs or not a little more of a challenge. That is just a little bit more of a challenge. You know, if you if your only issue is you didn't file FBARs, in order to use um, some of these penalty, these uh, 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 programs, excuse me, these IRS programs, for example, the one called Streamline is, is the big one, um, you have to pay a penalty that's equal to 5% of the accounts that you didn't properly, the, the December 31, the highest December 31 balance of these accounts that you didn't properly report for the last six years. So if 5% of the highest amount in the account is more than the $10,000 penalties, I could see people just saying, eh, who cares? We'll file late. We'll pay our $10,000 penalties. No big deal. We're not going to go through this program and take our chances with the program. No, that's a really good point you're making. That's that's really interesting. I never thought about it like that. And I think, right, the, the program there, it's, it's a long process. And you need a lot of documentation that's going to be submitted mm-hmm. in order to be accepted. Like you said, it's not guaranteed. Mm-mm. You actually have to apply for it. And so, yeah, it does make a really good point that if 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 the accounts, right, if, if the accounts you had smaller, right, a couple $10,000 accounts, okay. But otherwise, yeah, might not be worth your time. It might not be. Yeah, and if you have, you know, let's say you've got one or two years of noncompliance, but you have some big accounts, like, you know, you inherited some money or whatever. And so now you're going to have to pay 5% of the balance of those accounts. That could be well over ten to $20,000. And so it... There was a there was also a moment in time where it it was somewhat popularized to do what was called a, a quiet disclosure. And what that would mean is you would file your F bars, you would just sort of file them late. Um, because with F bar penalties, there's a strict six year statute of limitations. And so the idea was you would just file the F bars, keep it quiet, not not alert the IRS or or uh, FinCEN, and then you would wait it out. You would just sit back for six years and hope nobody caught wind of it. Uh, that was never a really good idea. I don't think it's a tremendously good idea now, to be perfectly honest, but that was what people were doing. Well, now with this new penalty regime, we'll say, and now I can kind of see it. If somebody doesn't think that they have a willfulness issue, you just do, people may just be doing quiet disclosures. And if they get a penalty notice, they'll pay it. Who cares? Because it's cheaper that could be cheaper than going through streamline and paying the 5% penalty. It's very, it's like, it completely changes the analysis. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Well, in addition, right, to the the 5% penalty, right, you still have to, you have 
obviously someone helping you legally through the process, mm-hmm. preparing all of that. So that's a lot of fees and expenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the real issue, though, I know we're sort of talking about just about these FBARs. The real problem typically is that it's not just the FBAR. Usually yes. there's a whole litany of forms that haven't been filed that are separate from the FBAR, but they duplicate the FBAR in many ways. And there are penalties attached to those. Plus, there's usually like late filing penalties and underreporting of tax penalties. And if you do streamline, that 5% captures all the penalties together. So it's sort of like a substitute for all these horrendous penalties that could apply. So it's, this is not to say that every single person who has this issue is just going to do these file, these file, be, be able to do these uh, quiet disclosures and, and get away with it. That it may not happen. And I think in most instances, that's not going to be possible. But it could happen now. Like it is a possibility now, whereas before it wasn't because of this uncertainty and this IRS position about the penalties. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think to give some context into like why how someone could kind of fall into this, right? You might just mm-hmm. think, oh, well, if you own if you own a foreign bank account, well, I don't own any foreign bank accounts. I'm good. I don't have to worry about this issue. But a lot of times you're saying if you inherit money, and I think that's where we see it most is you have a family member who's passed away. They had uh, money overseas. You have now inherited it or you've, you've stepped in because they named you as trustee. Right. That's where we see it, right? Is you just this, it just kind of basically got dumped on your lap. And now you're dealing with it. And it's complicated stuff. You're dealing mm-hmm. with international laws. You've got all these r- reporting requirements. You already have all the tax laws on top of that, that you're just trying to sort through all of this. Right. It is complicated. And so inadvertently, right, this happens. We see this quite frequently where it is non-willful. You just didn't know better. You didn't right. know where to turn to for advice. Maybe you're a normal tax professional that you see every single year. That, you know, that's not something that they always see every year. So maybe you were ill-advised. Um, and so it's an issue that does come up quite frequently when we see, unfortunately, kind of just people inheriting some foreign account from a family member. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or they they go abroad to work and they're working abroad. And if you're if your income from abroad is under certain thresholds, then you you actually don't have to pay uh you don't have to pay tax in the US on it. It's the foreign earned income exclusion. So you you get out from paying tax in the US on that income. Well, a lot of people interpret that to mean that therefore they don't have to file anything and they really don't have to do anything in the US. Oh, oh, oh no, no, no. Because these FBAR rules have nothing to do with the income tax and all of the reporting, other reporting rules that I'm sort of alluding to that again it's just information it's just the government wanting information it has nothing to do with your actual income tax bill it's all about just giving the government the information that they're asking for and they're not asking nicely they they want it and they really want it <laughs> they are demanding it they're not they're saying demanding. pretty please <laughs> yes they're definitely not saying pretty please i do think the element i know you and i have talked about this a little bit but the element of okay it was a non-willful situation but this doesn't eliminate the massive threat in the willfulness side of the equation and and the uh the risk that somebody runs that maybe the IRS, maybe they think, you know, the the, the taxpayer thinks they were non-willful, but the, the IRS thinks otherwise. And it makes me wonder whether the IRS is going to be trying to push that harder uh, or Department of Treasury, rather, is going to try to push that harder and push that willfulness position harder because, again, there's willfulness, but then there's basically willful ignorance and if you really kind of avoided learning what to do, maybe then that was willful, even though it wasn't overtly that way. And maybe there's a strong argument, at least I've heard some, some people suggest, I don't know if I agree with this, but maybe there's a strong argument to say, can you really ever really be non-willful? 
can you? Because you know Google exists. I mean, you can literally Google it, and the IRS has a website that tells you what to do and tells you all these rules. It's not like it's it's not hidden. You you can find it. You can also just not look. You know, you could just not look. And if you don't, if you just don't look, that's kind of willful ignorance. It's sort of the definition that's been developed in these cases. So. I think there's there's still a lot of risk in in these situations. So people shouldn't see this case and think like, oh, now it's no big deal. Or or like, you know, tax practitioners shouldn't see reports on this case and now think like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal anymore. I don't think that's true. No, yeah, you're right. I, I agree with you there. There's there's numerous willfulness cases that come through. Um, like I said, we, we see it all the time because you can be non-willful and it turns into willful. And like you said, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, the government could still argue that you, you could have found out, you, you could have known better. You could ignore today, right? But you can't ignore the consequences of tomorrow. Right. So right. you could, yeah, you could get something dumped on your lap and just not deal with it. But unfortunately, you will deal with it at some point. Right. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's, it's very case by case. Very case by case. Um, it, even if you know, even if you're trying to make the argument either non-willful or reasonable cause, it's still very case by case. And for for two people similarly situated, one may be able to use reasonable cause with clear conscience, and the other not. And so, for I'll give you an example. Um, like a, a lot of the a lot of the information that the IRS puts out on these topics is actually not translated into many foreign languages. The, the, the resources are almost exclusively in English. So let's say you're somebody who becomes a U.S. taxpayer, but you're not really fluent in uh, in English or you're not you don't have a fluency in English sufficient that you would even understand these fairly complicated rules that relate to kind of international tax things that probably lends better to reasonable cause, certainly not willfulness than willfulness. Like that's not just being willfully ignorant. That's like you couldn't even have figured it out because you could have read all the resources you wanted. You would have never understood what the hell they're talking about. So it's a again, it's like you could have two very similarly situated people and they could have very two very different outcomes. And that's more what I mean with like practitioners should not hear about this case and think, oh, therefore, you know, wash your hands of it it's not a problem anymore. Like, oh, no, no, no. You still have to look at every single case individually and, and determine whether you've got an issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. The the individual's expertise, like you said, the language, if there's a barrier mm-hmm. there, if mm-hmm. you actually had legal or tax advice, the expertise of that professional, whether or not they had any experience with this at all. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, there's, there's multiple factors. Like you said, every, every case you do have to look at differently. Yeah. Completely agree, Rachel, as usual, <laughs> completely agree with you. Well, I, you know, I didn't go back and count by the way, as a slight aside here, you and I have probably done like 70 of these. Pretty you good. realize that, right? Yeah. You, you and I have probably <laughs> done 70 of these. So I'm going to assume this is our 70th uh, podcast together. So you're, you're a trained professional, Rachel. If any, so when anybody ever asks you what you do for a living, you can tell them with a straight face that you're a podcaster. I'm an experienced podcaster. An experienced professional level podcaster. <laughs> I'm very seasoned. I'm going to use all the words. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you need to refresh your your resume. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you're missing out. There's a big hole in there. <laughs> we're we're going to move down attorney just a little bit. We're going to put Absolutely. podcasts up front. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Easily nine or 10 spaces down. 
is where you start attorney. <laughs> Everything above that is about your podcasting career. Yes, yes. I love it. All right. I'm going to change that right now. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> LinkedIn will be different tomorrow. Oh, well, always a pleasure. Uh, as usual, as you know, for the other 70 times. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks for continuing to let me on your show, of course. You're very welcome. I will see you next time. All right. Sounds like a plan. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.